Musician Mindset is a conversation series that extracts the performance and preparation thought process from world-class musicians, leaving you with wisdom and exercises to level up your musical journey. Our guest today is Femka. She's a singer, songwriter, music producer, and overall incredible musician. I've had the good pleasure of knowing Femka for a very long time now and can honestly say she is one of the most creative people I have ever met. You're in for a really great conversation today. Femka is a professional songwriter and is established both in Nashville and here in Los Angeles. And she's written with writers behind the hits of Miley Cyrus, Taylor Swift, Celine Dion, Whitney Houston, Lady Gaga, and many, many more. I, I think you guys are going to get a lot of information from her. She's super cool. One of the hardest working people I know in the industry. Let's welcome Femka. All right. So we are here with Femka, one of my most favorite people in the world. Uh, we're going to start the conversation same as we always do, which is your first performance, your first live performance, non-professional. Do oh. you remember? Uh, yeah. I guess I must have been like 12 because I, I played the... Uh, oh, no. I remember. It wasn't really a performance. I was wanting to play the accordion. Well, I, I don't know why, but... Um, so I went to this really big, like the first lesson in accordion was um, all the kids who wanted to learn to play accordion went to this one group class and then we all got assigned our accordion. So everybody got one. Must have been like 40 kids and the moms and everybody. And then the next week we had to come back and play a piece that we learned on the accordion. And, um, and so I learned this like classical piece <laughs> that was like, I never played an instrument before, but I, my parents listened to classical music and I learned to play this like entire classical piece. And I remember standing there like, like, like just thinking like, oh, this is totally like normal and <laughs> playing this piece. And everybody's looking at me like, what are you doing? <laughs> I remember that. And I just felt like slightly embarrassed because it was just, I know it was weird, but that was also the moment that I knew that this was my thing because it just felt so easy and like natural. And Being on stage or playing music? Both. I, I, well, being on stage got weird once I screwed up a couple of times, but I didn't have any shame before that. Like I just, it was sort of part of the instrument to just stand or sit and play and perform for people. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. so your so your opening show or a couple first couple of shows there was no anxieties just no. get up and do it look no. at me yeah I'm playing the accordion yeah, I never had anxiety until I had played this really important show um, the, it was like this huge venue with thousands of people and I it was my first songwriting show mm -hmm. and I forgot the lyrics and nobody noticed but I noticed and then the next time I performed I suddenly was so scared of forgetting all my lyrics because I experienced that anxiety once. And so I assumed it was going to happen again. How old were you when that, when that first error happened? I must've been like 16. Okay. So yeah. four years yeah. since then. And, and w did you do more shows in between 12 and 16? Yeah. Every, like a lot. Yes. And no problems at all. No, never. So what, what was maybe the, the, the reason like reflecting back on it that you, you forgot the lyrics? Nerves, because if uh, playing an instrument, I feel really comfortable because you do one thing. Mm -hmm. But then when you pr are a singer-songwriter and you play and you sing, there's more happening. And I was very used to just sitting and playing and not being the foreground, you mm -hmm. know, just sort of being part of an ensemble or something and being the only person, everything relies on you. The weight was just heavier. I think this just kind of got to me. And then I forgot a word. <laughs> was that the first time you would perform your own music? Yeah. Okay, cool. So maybe there was that extra pressure. Yeah, probably of that too. Hey, this is yeah. my own stuff. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, how did you recover? Um, well, I remember just going like, blah, 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 blah. Just like singing something. And then I got off stage and I was like just crying. And my mom was like, what's wrong? I'm like, well, I, I messed up the word. She's like, I didn't even hear it. Like she didn't notice it and she knows all my songs so she should have heard it but it was just I don't know it was powerful to me at that time now it happens a lot and I just go fluff 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 and it's, <laughs> it's okay 
But you carried that into the next show, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah. so talk about that next show. Like, how did the anxiety build and that pressure build? Well, I remember just having like stomach pains, thinking like, oh, I have to go on stage and I'm going to forget these words and I'm going to make a fool out of myself and it's going to be terrible. Um, and so, I remember just like those pre thoughts, mm-hmm. um, and then once you're on stage and when you go you kind of forget everything mm-hmm. but it's the part before that's terrible and you, you're like oh i can't move my fingers what's wrong with my fingers you come up with these weird things that aren't true at all just because you're so nervous but you most of the time once i'm on stage it just all goes away now after the first those first two artist shows where there were errors what was your path forward to start getting rid of the anxiety on stage and, and start you know, doing you more, being who you are? Um, well, I just learned to live with the anxiety. It's part of me as a person that I have, ang- like I have fears and anxieties. And, and so pushing them away or like putting them under or doing something to like change that, it doesn't, it's just part of me and, and somehow forgetting lyrics be- was just another one added to the list of other worries that I have. So instead of trying to like fight it and trying to like look at my phone or write it on my arm or like whatever I could do to like feel safe to not forget the lyrics, I just kind of like accepted the fact that I just have this fear mm-hmm. and I might forget a lyric and then if I do, the world's not going to end and just kind of accept it instead of... I think in general, I think that's a good thing instead of trying to change everything about yourself accepting what it is is okay too you know can we can we discover that process because i think there are a lot of people that ex- uh, experience the same thing that you talked about mm-hmm. but maybe they're not taking that step of acceptance so what was the process of you going okay this is probably going to happen again i'm going to be okay with it how did you unpackage that um I feel like it just kind of, ha- well, so the first time you go on stage after you screwed up, um, you, you're you super highly aware of what could happen. And so you're going through all the scenarios in your head, like, okay, if I forget this lyric, I could do this and I could do this. Or well, what if what if I forget how to play this? Or what if I don't know how the score works? Or, like you, you start going through every single little detail. And at some point, those details are over. Like at some point, you went through all of them and you went through all the possibilities and then part of my logical mind kicks in and, and it's like, well, all those possibilities aren't really that bad, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And But it takes a, maybe 10 shows to feel intensely anxi- high anxiety of like, oh my God, I'm gonna forget something or something terrible is gonna happen. And then you realize, well, I just played 10 shows and nothing terrible happened. Mm-hmm. I went through all the scenarios and maybe this is time to accept that it's just okay to feel like this before every show. Um, and just be okay with it. And then suddenly the feeling kind of went away. And I still feel like even if I play like a tiny show for my family or something, I still kind of have like, what if I mess up? And then it just, it's like, okay, I have this, I know this feeling. I'm comfortable in this feeling. Let's forget about it. Mm -hmm. And then it's fine. Which there a lot of people will say that that uh, nervousness is a good thing because Mm -hmm. it lets you know and it reminds you that you actually still care. Yeah. You know, um, yes. and I, th- I think that's pretty cool about like visualizing the worst case scenario. There's uh, there's some stoic writing on this mm-hmm. of, you know, what what could absolutely go wrong? You know, yeah. and then you, you think about that. OK, what is the absolute worst thing that could happen? Well, I drop my guitar or like my clothes rip off or, you know, whatever. But <laughs> at the end of the day, it's it <laughs> right. It, but how terrible is it? Am I still breathing at the end of it? So it's like going through all those um, those scenarios mm-hmm. and then recognizing, okay, but I would still be okay, Yeah, you know, at the end. I think that's really important. So um, on that, could you give any uh, practical exercises for a young musician starting out in their career, either as an artist or just as a performing instrumentalist to get over this uh, uh, stage anxiety? Um, I think one of the, well, the best thing to do is write down every single scenario of what could go wrong. Just think about, just take a minute not and this is also the most important thing is not do it right before the show just take a minute in your like when you have a, an hour or something at home 
and just was like, okay, let's sit down and logically write down all these things that could possibly go wrong. And so you don't look at it from the anxious mind because the anxious mind kind of like changes. It just makes things worse. But from a, from a clear perspective, write them all down. And while you do that, you realize how ridiculous they actually are and mm -hmm. how little it matters. And then when you play a show, just remember that feeling of looking at your anxieties from a completely neutral standpoint and realizing how ridiculous it was and and try to snap back into that feeling. Um, mm. So you're redirecting your anxiety by going to a different place and different moment. And so you're trying to not think about it at that point. And then you're also kind of making light of it. And you can go back to the feeling of like, okay, well, that doesn't seem that bad at all. And at some point, it just happens faster and faster and faster until the list is just a list of really crazy things you worry about mm -hmm. and nothing else. It doesn't physically affect you. And to, to kind of go with that theme, I think it would be a, a cool idea for people to create some kind of routine or habit to trigger the remembrance of the list that they made. So mm -hmm. if they're on yeah. stage and, and something is going wrong, Maybe there's something that you have either on your guitar or on the floor in front of you or on your music stand, even if it's just like a little piece of tape, a colorful mm -hmm. piece of tape that is a trigger for you to, to go, oh yeah, I wrote that list down and I'm gonna be okay. Mm -hmm. uh, because if we put all of that pressure on ourselves to to remember, oh yeah, I'm, I'm supposed to remember that yeah. all these things I wrote down, I'd still be okay. That's just that added pressure. So So maybe take it, take that pressure away yeah. by having some kind of just little reminder on stage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that absolutely helps, yeah. Cool, all right, so um, well, I mean, we'll get into your whole career, right, uh, what you're doing now, which mm -hmm. is like amazing things, but um, let's stick with the, with the performance um, side of stuff for now. So um, as an artist, the earlier part of your career and maybe going through your career, can you talk us through your preparation for a gig? Um. Well, it's different now. Like now I don't prepare for a gig at all. <laughs> I just go. And because um, I play songwriting rounds or I play like shows, solo shows. So I don't need to do rehearsals. I don't, you know, it's just really just me. And sometimes I don't even know what songs I'm going to play until I'm actually there. Because I've, I want to sort of feel the audience and see what they want me to, to do. Um so right now I don't do anything because I know my songs. I've played them for years. And if I write a new one, I just practice it a couple of times. But yeah, I just have th that whole feeling of fear is kind of gone. But before that, I would actually like make lyric sheets and write down the words that I knew I was going to forget or that are easy to forget. Or sometimes it's the like the easiest thing for me to forget is the beginning of a sentence. And when you miss the first word, you kind of miss the whole sentence. So just writing down the first words or you know, stuff like that. And just by the process of writing, I would already remember it because I just wrote it down. Sometimes I would do that right before a show just to kind of like, you know, remind myself like, oh, that's right and that's right. And, um, you know, I would have the songs on my phone, listen through them while I was either in a car or the plane or how, however I was, you know, just making sure I remembered everything. And um, I think a lot of practice comes from not actually holding an instrument, but thinking how you're playing it or thinking how it feels when you sing something, uh, remembering the feeling of where it sits pitch-wise in your, in your body without actually doing it. And that's to me, is a form of practice. Oh, most definitely. We've heard several people yeah. talk about that, right? The yeah. power of visualization and... And, and mental practice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Just practicing yeah. away from the instrument or yeah. practicing mentally is huge because you're rehearsing it. You're rehearsing the flow of what's happening mm -hmm. without having to actually do it. Yeah. yeah, Dave, Femka oh, um, talked about um, just kind of going over the first couple steps of a song or writing it down. Mm -hmm. um, do you think uh, instrumentalists, if they're playing other people's music, mm -hmm. could they do the same thing to, to prep themselves for a gig? Uh, no, I personally don't think so. Because, I mean, if I'm speaking from the other side as like a hired gun musician who is performing other people's original music i think that most of what you're having to prepare is making sure you have the roadmap in mind and the form and the dynamics and the arc of the song and things like that so i can see where as a vocalist remembering lines like knowing the first word mm -hmm. will trigger the whole lyric and things like that 
I don't personally think that would necessarily translate to an instrumentalist in the same way because it's not it's it's not an association of a first word i mean unless maybe i i'm just speaking for myself i could say hypothetically maybe if you're super dialed into the lyrics and you're like oh the second verse is about this and then that's going to remind you of something instrumentally i could see that maybe happening <clears throat> but speaking for myself i don't connect to music in that way to lyrics and so i'm more um i'm more focused in on the song form and the dynamics and things like that that are a little bit disassociated from lyrics but still that visualization though of, of the visualization yeah yeah for sure i think it's a really big thing that and the mental rehearsing for sure uh, of i've course. done that you know i think you and i've talked about one of the most mentally challenging things i've done recently is the zeppelin thing mm -hmm. because complicated song forms and just weird stuff and i have definitely found that mental rehearsal is every bit as effective as sitting at the drums and playing through the songs because you're teaching your mind what is going to happen and and how to think about what's coming next and things like that mm -hmm. yeah most definitely okay so uh going uh, continuing on uh you you as an artist a after the shows uh whatever performance that is for you uh do you do any reflection on how it went um yes i am pretty hard on myself so yeah, I, I will always find something that I could have done better. Um, but I think the, the most rewarding thing is just having the audience response, mm -hmm. um, which I think is much more true than my own perception of what just happened. Um, so usually I just go out in the crowd and just, you know, meet people and then I kind of forget about what could have, what might have went wrong that was super intense for me, but nobody really noticed. Mm -hmm. Um I really like lightened up on the whole like worry issue and like for some reason it just really doesn't happen. Like even if I made a big mistake, sometimes it's kind of good, you know, as a, at least in a st not from a musician standpoint, but from a singer songwriter standpoint to, to like play something and you make a mistake, it just automatically makes you human. It makes you relatable. It's, it's, and you can just say like, I'm, I'm sorry, I, let me just do this again. And it's never a bad thing. Nobody really, like people laugh. It's like, it kind of loosens everybody up. It kind of helps in my process. But I can see if you're like a serious musician, you're not gonna do that. It's like, sorry. But for a singer songwriter, it, it's part of being a singer songwriter is people liking who you are as a person and the stories that you have to tell. Mm -hmm. So it's much more than just being an instrumentalist. It's, it's being a, you know, a personality and that kind of stuff kind of helps. So you felt that, that letting go of the pressure a little bit allowed people to see more into who you are as an artist. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I like it. So I get messages from people that say things like it was so you're, you know, thanks for who you are. Like that was, it was great that you just picked it up like that. And, you know, that, that kind of stuff. It, yeah. I think it's, it kind of loosens everybody up and it helps me a lot, you know, to not feel that pressure of like, you know, if you make a mistake, I'm sure you know this feeling when you make a mistake and you try to like rectify it and pretend like it never happened. And sometimes it really just happened. And, you know, you, admitting it is kind of a freeing thing. And it's also, I think, a process of learning that nine times out of 10, when you make a mistake, even though for us as the one who did it, we get so inside of our head and focused on it. Mm -hmm. And like you were saying, you get audience feedback and things like that people don't even realize it happened unless like there are a lot of times when you, that you can just gloss over that and not acknowledge it. And people don't even know you made a mistake mm -hmm. unless you draw attention to yeah. it and learning how to flow through that. Mm -hmm. So I don't want people to maybe get the wrong idea here. I mean, you are a very, very good musician, no doubt about that. <laughs> so I mean, a lot of your ability to kind of just go with the flow mm -hmm. uh, is rooted in your training Mm -hmm. Right. Because you can, yeah. I mean, you know, you can't just not practice or, yes. or you know, um, so I don't want to lead people in the wrong direction. I mean, mm -hmm. you are a very, very, very good musician. Let's talk about your standard of excellence. And this is one of the things I admire about you the most mm -hmm. is like, you have such a high bar for yourself and mm -hmm. you're constantly pushing. Has it has it always been like that? And, and if so, where do you think that came from? And if not, um where did you acquire that mindset? Um, well, I feel like I 
always had it, but it wasn't necessarily meant to be uh, my part of excellence. It was just part of education. Like I have this this extreme need to learn. Um, and so I remember as a kid, I would, you know, when I played the accordion, I switched over to like more of a classical version and I ended up playing like organ pieces and I was just, I would always get more books from the library and like try to learn these pieces and trying to get better, not because I was striving for excellence, but because I was striving for knowledge. And so uh, that was, I think that's a really big difference. I wasn't competing with my fellow musicians to be the best musician. I was competing with myself to like just learn and learn and learn and learn. And it was never enough. And it still is never enough. Um, so that's why I always want to make sure that when I do something, I mean, I'm a high, I'm a perfectionist, everything needs to be perfect. And so when I want to, when I hear something in my head that I want to do, and I can't do it, I will do whatever it takes till I know how to do it. Um, not to prove anything to anyone except to for me to know that I went through this learning process and I got there. Yeah, I, I mean, and it's it's an incredible process. I mean, I've gotten to work with you in, in several situations and, and be a part of it. And it's really, really inspiring. Mm -hmm. So someone that uh, will go back to, to, again, the people that are, are at the beginning of their career, what could they do to make sure that they are constantly pushing them themselves? Like, like how it, maybe if they're not like, like they're always on a quest for knowledge, they're not mm -hmm. always like that. Is there something that they could do to, to maybe get into that mindset? Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that I noticed with a lot of people is the, it's feeling like you need to practice is sort of a negative thing sometimes like oh i have to practice and i have i need to like my mom tells me i have to practice 30 minutes a day or something and it's it, it's it's the i think what's missing is the idea that the practice is is meant for a reason it's there for a reason it, the practice is not just an isolated 30 minutes that you have to do but the practice is like one step to the next step so if you want to achieve like a lot of people like i want to play like frank zappa you know, well, in order to play like Frank Zappa, you need to go through these specific steps. There's no way you can just start with like a Frank Zappa song and just learn that. You need to get go through the process. So studying is part of the process and it's not a, a thing in itself. And I feel like that kind of, I mean, if that makes any sense, but to me that relieves, the, relieves it a little bit. Like the other day I had to produce a song and it had this they wanted a latin piano and so i never really played latin piano and so i went through on youtube and i was like okay how can i like play this latin piano and i tried it and i realized well i haven't really been practicing my skills to have my fingers be able to fit this latin pattern like i let me just go back to like just playing skills for 30 minutes over and over and over and over and over and loosen up my fingers get back into the you know the mindset and then try to play the latin thing and it it worked you know like I, you have to take a step to take another step to get to where you want to want to go so that that philosophy of uh basically what i'm hearing you say is like you're motivated to practice by keeping the end in mind yeah it's you know the the daily practice can seem mundane but when mm -hmm. you are looking forward to the goal then it all is worthwhile and all falls into place did you always have that or like when you were very first starting out were you was it like a chore to have to practice or were you always kind of like self-motivated or was somebody motivated? I was you? I was really self-motivated I was kind of a strange child like I really wanted to get to get it mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily want it to get better but I just wanted to get it like if I like my biggest frustration is when I hear something in my head that I want to do and mm -hmm. I can do it I have to figure out how to do it. So it just was something that was part of that process was to come home after school and just practice until dinner and then have dinner, do homework and then practice again. Um, you know, just for the, I need it to. It wasn't well, even a question of like feeling like I had to, you know? Yeah, like hearing something in your head and not being able to do it and going through a process of acquiring the skill to get that out Mm -hmm. is really the whole big picture of what music is. I yeah. mean, that's So like to have that at an early age, that vision of, you know, I'm hearing something and I have to learn how to do it. I think that's a real advantage. And mm -hmm. for people to 
maybe who don't have that so early on to keep in mind, like one of the, the goals of what we're doing is to try to just get to a point to where you can express what you're hearing in your head mm-hmm. to get it out through your instrument, whether you're a vocalist or an instrumentalist or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also what might be a good thing is to, you know, playing music is it's playing is not working, you know, you're right. playing, but practicing feels like working. Right. And so those two somehow seem to be two separate things and everybody loves to play, but mm-hmm. nobody loves to work, mm-hmm. you know? And so, I feel like rewarding yourself with play, like for instance, if you if you practice, if you're aiming towards a certain piece that you really want to learn how to play, and you practice for 20 minutes, and then you try to play that piece, and the first time you're terrible at it, but then a week later, you start realizing that whatever you just practiced made you loosen up enough to get better and better at that piece. Um, so relating the practice to the play or to the reward right away makes it make more sense you know yeah if you can relate the technical process to the artistic outcome yeah 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 that makes sense yeah this is a big thing for for people to really get into because you're right i feel like there's there's two kinds of people that play music the people that enjoy practicing i personally enjoy practicing and then there's people that they struggle practicing but they have a passion for wanting to play Mm -hmm. you know so if you are that person, then you have to reframe how you are practicing and mm-hmm. do exactly what you're talking about here, Femka, which is think of it in a more playful way, mm-hmm. you know, and give yourself rewards along the way so that the practicing in time becomes fun. You mm-hmm. know, it becomes a part of, of the journey. And what, what I tell students is to keep uh, metrics of what you're doing, right? There's a lot of power in seeing even just one BPM faster. You know, I used to keep yeah. a log of whatever I would be working on. And let's say the first week of April, I'd be doing it at 50 BPM. And then the, by the third week of April, I'd be at 65 BPM. Even though you feel like you're not making that much progress to go back and look at that practice log mm-hmm. and say, whoa, look at this. Like I've actually gone somewhere. It was very empowering, mm-hmm. you know? So uh, if you are listening to this and you you have a kind of a negative association with practicing, just start gamifying it, you know, mm-hmm. find a way to make it fun. Because uh, if you've listened to several of our shows, you'll hear that every single musician that's come on here has talked about the power of practice, yeah. right? And we've had, we've had other singer songwriters on, uh, we've had uh, instrumentalists and they all do the same exact thing, yeah. which is put in the time, mm-hmm. you know, because you're going to get the, the desired outcome. I work, uh, I have, uh, several, um, singers that come in to take lessons with me. And when, when we start the path of, of learning the guitar, I try and and frame it to say, hey, look, the the more chords and transitions that you know, the more colors you're going to be able to paint with, mm-hmm. right? But uh, very often, uh, I think artists can get um, distracted and capped on their creativity because of their physical ability to play the instrument, mm-hmm. right? And they want that gratification of, well, let me just write the song and let me just because that's the fun stuff. Yeah, but. Well, how did you get there in the first place? You know, mm-hmm. how were you able to learn those first couple of, of chords? Because it was like, well, if I just do this, then I'm going to be able to write a song. Just keep going, mm-hmm. right? And then that's how the journey keeps um, keeps unfolding, yeah. I think. So that's really important. Uh, what uh, what would you tell um, artists uh, about about the, the culture of the music scene right now? Um. Well, I think now more than ever, it's celebrated to be unique. Um, you know, be, being unique and authentic is, is like uh, in, in the current age of, of every 10-year-old is an A&R person, you know, like everybody goes on Spotify or where YouTube or Instagram or whatever and finds somebody. Like that's a lot of people that are musicians find joy in finding people that they can support. And most of the time, the people that they want to support aren't the major label artists because they're already kind of there. But people find joy in finding somebody that nobody knows and telling their friends about it. So as an artist, you can harness that. Like you can harness that idea of like, okay, well, if people are looking to find people, 
they're not going to look for somebody that does every single cover song, every single John Mayer song just like John Mayer, or every single 1975 song just like 1975. Like, they're looking for something that is unique. And so be unique, be authentic. Don't, I mean, being inspired by an artist and like loving what they do and trying to learn what they do is one thing, but then then use it as a toolbox. Don't make it who you are. I feel like a lot of artists get so into um, a specific artist that they admire that that's who they mirror themselves to, uh, uh, you know, vocally or instrumentally or whatever. And it takes away from, from, you know, from you, first of all, but it also takes away from why would somebody care about that if there already is a John Mayer or there already is a Maroon 5? It's like, so that's my biggest thing is be you, be authentic. Um, and also have a business mind. If you really want to do this, you just have to, there's a couple of things you just have to do in order to be successful. And if you're not going to be, in, if you don't want to be on social media, if you don't want to post every day or every other day, just don't be an artist. I mean, music nowadays is what people look at more than what people listen to sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't want to be present, you know, everybody that writes a song in their bedroom um, that wants to be discovered it's like, well, you have to sort of be found, be able to be found, you know, like put yourself out there, like make your brand, like, and think wisely of what that brand looks like and be consistent and, uh, you know, all that stuff. Art Blakey said 50 years ago, he said, if you're not appearing, you're disappearing. Yes. And that's more true today. It's so than ever. true. Yeah. I want to talk about um, uh, uniqueness as an instrumentalist. Story first, and then I've got a question for both of you guys. Okay, so um, what you're talking about, you know, being authentic, um, I, I imagine you're coming at it from a songwriter's perspective, but I'm, I want to talk about it from an instrumentalist perspective because mm -hmm. the first time that we met, uh, you were sitting, I think you may have been sitting right next to me or two people next to me, and we were doing a, a songwriter's round. Mm -hmm. And when, when you played, but right before you even sang, you, you did some uh, finger style thing mm -hmm. on your guitar. I, literally within two measures, I was like, who is this? Mm -hmm. Because it was so real. It was so unique. The way you had played guitar, the way you were holding the guitar, the the just everything about it I thought was, was super, super cool and very interesting. Uh, and you listen to players like, um, like on, well, I'll speak for the guitar, like B.B. King. When I saw B.B. King... He didn't play much because he was much older, but every time that he would play, you could have your eyes closed and you would know exactly who it is. So what do you guys think about uniqueness as an instrumentalist? Is it something that you can train? Is it is it even a real thing? Or, I mean, Dave, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on this because you are, you know, mostly you do like higher gun stuff, mm -hmm. but I mean, even just, you know, me jamming with you the time that, that uh, we've spent together, I know the Dave Johnson sound, mm -hmm. you know? So uh, can, we, can we talk about that? Yeah, I take that as a compliment. I mean, people have said that. And I think that that's a multifaceted answer to that question because I think, number one, it is having an awareness of when that's appropriate and when it's not. Speaking as if, you know, you're trying to do hired gun work, let's say, you're not going to roll into every situation with, like, this crazy whatever uh unique sound or approach you're going to have because that's not going to be right for every situation so you have to be adaptable to the extent that you want to work and you want to be able to fit into to certain situations but the other thing is like you have to be um uh mindful if that's a goal of yours at all like some people don't even have that as a goal some people want to just be musically wallpaper to like fit in and mm -hmm. like be somewhat unnoticed just to the extent that you can like do any gig and things like that. But I do think that if you're going to continue to evolve as a player, there is going to come a point where you're going to need to, to establish and it, you don't even hardly have to try. It's going to happen. Like you're going to have your sound and your approach. And I know that I sound a certain way almost regardless of what style of music I'm playing, I have a, a certain, it, it, it just comes down to your personality comes out through your music, whether you're a songwriter, a vocalist or an instrumentalist. 
your personality of who you are as a human is going to come out through your instrument or through whatever vehicle you have. If you allow it. yourself, if you allow it, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Femke, what do you think about that? Um, yeah, well, I mean, it's different if you're, if you're hired for a job um, or if you're, uh, you know, there's always the, 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 in life, the, the, the balance of uh, income and passion and they don't necessarily go together. Like whatever your passion is doesn't have to be the thing that pays the bills or sometimes can be the thing that pays the bills. The thing that pays the bills is go play gigs and, you know, play weddings and, you know, all that stuff and like play to cover gigs downtown, like just because you need to pay the rent. So you can't really afford to be not like super authentic in those gigs because you have to, do your job you know it's like that's what they ask you to do but then um the other passion part is where you have no limitation whatsoever and i think separating those two is a really freeing thought because as a musician you want to be the person who can kind of do everything but then you also want to invest some time in you becoming you or growing yourself as a person and that's the part where you will sound authentic and Um, I know for me personally, when I studied classical music, um, I like my, I would go to my lessons and my teacher would write down my fingering above every single note. And so if I would, and I had a Russian teacher and he was like intense, intense. And if I would play the wrong finger, he would slap me on the finger with a pencil. (laughs) There was no room. There was no room for interpretation. There was no room for personality. And, you know, if it said 123 BPM, it was 123 BPM. And if I would remotely veer off of that, it would slap me on the finger with a pencil, you know? like And so there was no room. And that's European classical training. Um, and then I got this guitar and I didn't know how to play it. And I only used two fingers, like my thumb and this finger, like whatever you call it in English. <laughs> pointy finger yeah. um and so i didn't think i wanted to i didn't even know if that other people use the other three fingers and so through that limitation i learned how to play a certain way and that's what my unique sound became my mm-hmm. my limitation my complete lack of knowledge of this instrument made me unique on the instrument and then i started educating myself then i like i so with one instrument there was no creativity whatsoever. I came into it right from a educational standpoint. And with the other instrument, I started from a creative standpoint. So sometimes, and I still do this thing, I buy an instrument, like I bought a clarinet last year. I buy an instrument just to learn how to play it with like no knowledge whatsoever so I can be creative and it inspires me. And then when I'm tired of my lack of knowledge, I'll go educate myself. And sometimes that's enough. Like, you know, not having education on an instrument kind of creates a sound that I like and I'll just keep it that way. Um, so I do think sometimes just, if this, if this is anything of a passion at all, but maybe just get a ukulele. You know, if you're a guitarist and you're studying guitar, get a ukulele or get a guitar lele, get something else and forget about the rules and just do, you know? Right. This is a great way for people to break out of ruts. Yeah. And um, if if uh, what I would tell guitarists is to uh, play in an alternate tuning. Yes, you know? I love like, that. Yeah, Just do something outside of the box. Mm-hmm. Um, because I teach so many lessons, people come in that are left-handed. Mm-hmm. And I get such joy out of tuning their guitar because then I, I'm forced to play it, yeah. right? And it's like rediscovering the instrument all over again. I mean, this happened just yesterday. You know, kid hands me his guitar, I tune it, and I go to, to do like a stock bend, you know, that I would do on, on a string. And it's like, whoa, that sounds weird. Like, because the the, the pattern, uh, you know, the geometry yeah. of it is is different, um, which immediately sparks an interest of like, yeah. whoa, this is like, you know, this is why we started it. And, mm-hmm. and that's how we train our teachers here is we, we tell them, you know, think uh, opposite handed, you know, pick up a guitar, uh, from, th- with the, with the opposite hand. Yeah. And that reminds you. Oh, so that you can have like the beginner. The beginner's mindset. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. So oh, any, that's the first yeah. thing we do when we train people is yeah. we, we give them, well, you right handed. Okay. Here's a yeah. left handed guitar. You immediately like disable them. Yeah. Right. That's right. Great. Because it, it puts you way back into the beginning, which was 
the the joy of it, yeah. you mm-hmm. know, um, which I think is so great. So that's a very good point on how people can rediscover their creativity. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's let's kind of go towards production now. And you, I mean, you are an artist, but you produce artists mm-hmm. now. Yeah. So um, we had uh, we had someone on yesterday that uh, that does the exact same thing. Can you talk about your process of working with an artist? Um. Well, so for me, I'm a writer producer. So usually I write the song with the artist. Um, and so through the writing process, I get to know the artist. I get to know their tastes and their sensibilities. And um, so it makes it much easier for me to be their producer because I get their vibe. Like by by songwriting is a very emotional process if you really are a true artist and it, it it really has to come from like a kind of a you have to be in an unsafe room and tell a story that really matters to you to write a great song and so being in that room with an artist um being in that room makes you uh part of their process and so i feel production then from that point on is kind of easy or I mean, it's never easy. Like the f- if you do a, an EP with an artist, the first song is always the hardest because you have to find the thing. And then once you've found the thing, like the whatever the sound is, you can then pull it over all the other four songs. But um, the first song is always kind of tough. But for me, the key of the process is the writing part. And sometimes I get a work for hire thing where they just like, here's five songs, produce these or produce these 10 songs. And I never feel as attached and I never feel as proud of the product at the end as I do with when I wrote the songs with the person um, or even just one song. And it doesn't even have to get cut, but it's just the the knowledge that you get through that process. It's different than just having a cup of coffee and talking about music. It's like a much more internal thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so how often are you hiring musicians during your sessions when you're producing an artist? I know I know you play multiple instruments, but do you bring in outside people? Yeah, lately it's like a 50-50 kind of kind of thing. Okay, let's yeah. go down that path. So what are you looking for when you bring in somebody? Um, well, I, my, okay. So I, I've, I have a terrible story. Um, so the first time I ever produced um, with musicians, I hired musicians, was kind of a big project in Nashville, through this independent record label, it was my first ever to be in a big studio. And um, we hired these amazing, like top-notch, amazing musicians from Nashville. Like, But there was this one guy who was a steel player. And um, I kept telling him, he was like, I want you to play this lick. And I would play it for him on the guitar. And he's like, oh, no, I just really want to play this. And I was like, no, trust me, I want this lick. And so I would humor him and have him play his lick all over the place. Like the whole song was just a giant steel guitar solo. And I was like, okay, that sounds great. Now, can we go to this one section and can you play these three notes? And he couldn't do it. And at some point he said, well, little lady, that's just not how we do it in Nashville. Whoa. <laughs> and so that is not the musician I'm going to hire. Wow. Um, and so for me, the most important thing is to have a person who's willing to listen. Like, I get it. Like, you've studied your instrument and you know what you want. And and I will never tell you how to play your instrument. But sometimes doing something that's that's might not be as interesting as a musician, but it makes it's part of the greater good of something or the greater thought. Um, being willing to do that is one of the biggest things. Having a good personality that's open to suggestions um working with a producer there are certain producers who just sit on the couch and they're like okay play and then they and then you play and it sounds great but there's also producers like me who have a a sound in their mind and they want to get there so allowing that process of getting there and allowing to think more like in details and like parts and um like when i arrange i arrange um from a very uh, horizontal idea. It's like each single note works with the other single note of the other musician. So I don't just want to have like big chords all over the place. Sometimes the bass player and the guitar player playing a part that matches perfectly is the thing that this song needs. And so honing in on that and being able to work with that, um, that is the most essential part of a musician. So sometimes I pick people who aren't as good as a musician but they're great as a experimental person in the room. 
um, for a certain session because I want their experimental qualities. I don't want their technique. It's. I think what I'm hearing you say is it's a combination of having expertise on their instrument, mm-hmm. but also having a collaborative spirit or yeah. like being open. Like that story you just told of the steel player like makes me angry <laughs> as a hired gun. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I can't imagine saying that to somebody who's, if someone's hiring you, you're not going to say to them, this is how it's done. You're going to say, sure, whatever you want. Like mm-hmm. I can play those three notes or whatever, you know, yeah. but I, like hearing you uh, talk about that, I think it's, the importance for someone listening to this as a musician who wants to be hired by a producer, the important thing of what you're saying is like having a spirit of being willing to um, collaborate and even regardless your level of expertise, Mm -hmm. set aside your expertise to do something maybe unorthodox that's being asked of you. Because for me as a drummer, like, Sometimes someone will ask for something I'm, and I will have, I will definitely internally have that thought. Like, mm-hmm. that's not how it's done. That's not right. But you go, okay, well, this is interesting because say you're producing the session, you're not hearing the drums as a drummer. Mm-hmm. You're hearing the drums from the standpoint of somebody who isn't as familiar with the ins and outs of the instrument, but that can lead to a really cool outcome because you're not having preconceived notions of what should mm-hmm. and shouldn't be done. Yeah. You're just hearing a sound. Yeah. And so I think uh, a takeaway for someone who's trying to be a sideman is like to keep yourself open to, um, to, to outside input and keeping yourself open to doing things that might be unorthodox. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you wouldn't think to do it or that you might even think it's wrong might be the exact thing <clears throat> that makes it a great idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think the word uh, that we could use to sum all this up would be professionalism, right? If you're in a studio and you're getting hired by someone like yourself, right, and, and you're working on a major project, it is not your job to to tell the producer what to do mm-hmm. unless you're asked. It's your job to, to be of service to the song mm-hmm. and of the session, right? And that's how you, you're going to get welcome back to another yeah. session and, and another session yep. so you can like you said Dave like you internally you might think well I wouldn't do it this way but the professional in you has to go right. beyond that and go okay well this isn't about me you yeah. know I'm here to because I can mm-hmm. play this instrument very well and I'm going to be reliable and mm-hmm. if I wouldn't do it that way well then I'll go do my own record mm-hmm. you know um, so uh, uh, kind of going um, going a little deeper here Another thing I really respect about you is your professionalism, like I was just talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, o- always just going above and beyond for the the arc of your career. What is um, what what is some advice that you would give to to people just starting out on their career about how to maintain a level of professionalism and, and get to a point where you currently are? Um. Well, so I mean, I I think it changes a lot, but lately, my answer to that would be um uh well uh, let me start off with like a little story so i you know facebook there's people that like rant a lot about things and stuff and i saw this this kid that was ranting about the fact that he was working for a composer and um that he was so glad that he finally got out of this composer job as an assistant and he can finally like score his movies and get the credit you know like start he started to do an indie movie and I was like I after doing this indie movie I decided I can no longer be an assistant because um, I'm just not respected for what I do and I, you know it was like this big long rant and and my first thought was like you need to understand where you are in your career and and how to get to the place where you want to go and respect the people around you like because I've been I've been the person that's that's been the assistant I've made the coffee and sometimes I scored an entire tv show without getting the credit and people still to this day tell me it's like isn't that unfair and I'm like no it's really not because I learned how to score in that job as an assistant while I was making coffee, while I was like greeting everybody and doing everything and playing all the instruments and doing the score, that opportunity led me to have confidence in knowing I could do it. Um, So I needed that. I needed to just be humble 
and accept my place in the room. And so there is this thing, and I know you and I talked about this, is the three people in your life you need to surround yourself with. First person being the people you admire. One third of the people in your life should be people that you admire because you can learn from them and they can mentor you. And then it's your peers, the people that are just like you and you're all growing together and you can pull each other with you. And then there's the people who want to be like you. Um, and so the people who want to be like you could be your interns, they could be your assistants, but they should want to gr grow into what you're doing right now. And you have an obligation to help them become better. And so I feel like being humble and understanding where you are in that food chain and which one of the three you are to the other person and utilizing that is the most important part of professionalism. So don't complain about like, I didn't get paid enough or I didn't get this or I didn't get this or I didn't get that. You always get something out of something if you choose to get something out of it. Like if you work really hard, but you can see how, how a professional that's successful works and does his work, that is intensely valuable you won't learn it at school and so if you have to make coffee for 20 hours a day or like whatever is it you need to do sleep on somebody's couch and like lose sleep for a year then that is the reason of doing that is because you're learning and you're adding value to yourself as a professional once that's no longer valuable and you feel it's ready to move on you should move on but you should never complain about the part of the process you're in um Because I feel it creates a negativity that is inherently unprofessional. Um, so, yeah, if that makes any well, that sense was great. at all. That was so great. And we usually end the conversations by asking if you wanted to share any advice uh, for young musicians just starting out in their career. I mean, to me, that that's it right mm -hmm. there, everything you just said. Um, so before we, we wrap up, is there anything else you wanted to share for, for anybody just starting out in their career? Or was it all summed up in what you just said? I think that was almost well, hang in there. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> well, that's true. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like you have to grind it out, yeah. you know, like, and just keep going because mm -hmm. uh, you'll notice in your career, the deeper you go, the fewer people remain. Mm -hmm. And it's those that are remaining are the yeah. ones that are, are getting the gigs because yes. those are the people that have uh, taken on the challenge, mm -hmm. you know, and wear the scars yeah. of, of grinding to the top. Okay, so where can people find you and connect with you? Um, well, it's all Femka songs, so Instagram Femka songs, uh, Facebook Femka songs, um, Twitter, all those social media things. Um, F-E-M-K-E. E, yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay, all. great. Um, anything you want to add? That's great. Yeah, and uh, just another fantastic guest, and we appreciate you being on here. Our oh, audience is better you. for it. And for you people listening, just keep walking. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Musician Mindset Podcast with Dave Johnstone and Jason Land. You can contact the show through Facebook and Instagram at Musician Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, please leave a written review and a five-star rating on iTunes.